Mouthing Off is a theater, arts, and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Amanda Forstrom. I'm Kevin Couchman. And I'm Mari Sidner. Mouthing Off features compelling interviews and discussions with creators and artists from around the Twin Cities and beyond. Tune in for something different online where you get your podcasts at badmouthtc.com and on the air in St. Paul from Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM. We hope you enjoy the show. We're back with another action-packed episode of Mouthing Off, a theater, arts, and culture podcast online and on Frogtown Radio 94.1 FM here in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Kevin Kautzman, and today, as usual, I'm joined by my partner in crime, Amanda Forstrom. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing excellent. Uh, happy to be back on Frogtown Radio 94.1. Hey, mm. everyone. And yeah. super excited to dig into the nitty gritty of uh, acting and directing, uh, playwriting uh, with a fantastic director and actor that we have as guests today. Yes, and I will introduce them. Uh, today, we are having our first interview through the great theater company here in town, History Theater. And if you don't know History Theater, you should know them. They're right in downtown St. Paul, and they produce exceptional work, history-oriented plays with a Minnesota connection pretty much all of the time. And today we're joined by director Warren Bowles and actor Mikel Sapp. Warren, Mikel, how are you both? Doing fine. Happy to be here. Same here. All right. And that was Warren and Mikel, respectively, for those who aren't familiar with their voices. And today we're going to talk about an upcoming production at History Theater called Diesel Heart. And I got the press release in front of me. I could rattle on about it, but I think it's it's better to have our guests tell us what we're what we're getting into and what uh, people who go to History Theater for this play will uh you know, will experience. So uh, maybe Warren first, do you care to tell us a little bit about this, this production? Sure. This show is inspired by an autobiography of the uh, community activist and former police officer, Melvin Carter, Jr. Uh, Jr., not the mayor of St. Paul, that's Melvin III. Uh, the name of the book is Dieselheart. And it, it, it just chronicles his life uh, to the point that he started an organization called Save Our Sons. So Melvin, has he, he has a long history with the police force. He has a long history with the community of Rondo. And he's been very committed to the neighborhood and to St. Paul. Uh, so this is how he developed his life, the challenges he faced. Yeah, that's very interesting. And uh, Mikkel, are you are you playing Melvin Carter Jr. in this? Yes, I'm very privileged to be cast as Melvin Carter Jr. All right. Mm -hmm. Well, I know, yeah, Amanda has some questions about this because Amanda is our resident 
actor. Every time I've acted, I've only been pretending to be an actor. Amanda is the, <laughs> I'm mostly a playwright. In fact, I wrote a play for History Theater some years ago about uh, Hemingway at Mayo Clinic. Uh, oh, and wow. I, I have to plug this. So the other podcast I do is called Art of Darkness. That's at artofdarkpod.com. And we do these in-depth biographical profiles of dead artists with an emphasis kind of on the dark side. You you don't usually have to go looking for a dark side when it comes to artists. We just covered Hemingway. We did a six-hour Hemingway episode with with a great writer, Aaron Gwynn. In any case, many people don't know that Hemingway spent a lot of time at Mayo Clinic. So that's a bit of an aside. I have a little history with history theater, a big fan of what they got going on. So uh, Amanda. All right, let's dive right in this. I've been dying to ask you this question. Uh, Is it, what is it like playing or I don't want to say embodying because this person is still alive. Mm -hmm. So you're other bodying his story. And how does that feel in comparison to taking on a character that's just on a page? You know, um, I, I, I will be honest uh, and I'll say that um, I'm fortunate in a way. I'm fortunate because a lot of people, you know, you can talk about or you could talk about a person when they're not here and just say, oh, it was like this. It was like that. And you basically can build your character that way. But I'm fortunate enough to be able to sit down uh, with Melvin Carter Jr. um, to hear people talk about him in a way that I was able to now, you know, like I'm I'm, one thing I'm not going to do. I'm not going to get up there and actually, you know, be Melvin Carter. I'm going to portray him the best way that I can, because it's, you know, it it, it, and I think that's very difficult because we're two different people. But uh, I think just being on page, you know, versus actually having the person here, it's just the insight, you know, the mm. things that are, you know, the little small things that make him who he is, you know, it's easy to embody uh, those little things, the little small details you may not get just from reading from something on page. And I think that's the most beautiful thing about it is just being able to have him here and the little slight little smallest little details or things that you can carry on. But I think he would just want, us to just put on the the best show possible. That's awesome. That's really beautiful that you're, you know, looking at and observing him and the tiny little detailed ways that make him who he is and, and keeping those special things while also being true to you and on stage. Mm -hmm. Um, How many has he come? Two questions. I'm super excited. Has he come to rehearsal and has he read the play? I'm pretty sure he's read the play. Yes. Definitely read the play. Uh, he he's only came to one rehearsal so far, and I wonder if is it just because he somebody told him to stay away, you know? Because <laughs> I know he's very very excited about this, and and I uh, and I would welcome him and uh, you know to be in the room to see him. But I think that uh, I, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of hard. I can't speak for Melvin, but I just I just think that. Um, it's, it, it might be a little nerve-wracking too, just to be in and see your story being told. And uh, but but also too, maybe it's just he decided to stay away. I don't know, but he's come into at least one rehearsal opening our opening rehearsal. That's uh, Melvin was very much. This is Warren here. Uh, Melvin was very much involved in the development of the play. Definitely. Uh, the play has gone through at least 
four different reading cycles in which a company of actors were gathered to read the play once even for an audience. And uh, it helped the playwright make rewrites and see what does and doesn't work. Well, Melvin sat in on all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So his his input uh, was there a lot. Now, one of the things that we have to push him to is the fact that this is theater. This is not just a reiteration of your life. You know, there's that kind of thing. Well, I didn't say that exactly. I know (laughs) you didn't, but we have to for the theater. So I think he's come to realize now that he is just a wonderful resource for us. But it will be frustrating for him if he sits there through the whole thing going, that wasn't it, that it wasn't quite like that, is it? No, we're doing a play, Melvin. Right. Yes. It is the the lie that tells the truth. Uh, yes. The, the theater. Uh Warren, let's let's give the playwright uh his due as well. Um, how involved were you with the development process of this of this piece? Have you both been along for the entire the entire ride? And I, I see the playwright. His name is Brian Grandison. Brian, Brian Grandison. Yes, mm-hmm. I have a long history with Brian, uh, both as an actor and as a director and as a friend. Um, I wasn't there for the very beginning. I came in uh, the, the about the third reading of a uh, process of the play, uh, but I came in uh, fairly early. Uh, Ron was uh, asked by the former artistic director, Ron Peluso, to work on the development of this play because he had a relationship with Melvin Carter Jr. He knew him, he knew the family, uh, he's mm. familiar with the history of the neighborhood and all. And I think Melvin was very happy to have him develop this play as well. Uh, this is certainly not Brian's uh, first piece of writing. Uh, so he, he's been he's been working on this, I think, three years, maybe four. It's been quite a while of development and has finally gotten to what we think is a good play. And Mikkel, were you cast right out of the gate for the initial reading? You've been along for that that journey, or did they bring you in uh, sort of midway through development? Uh, for the first like two readings, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I was a part of, and uh, then they went through the uh, auditioning process, and then I was you know, asked to play the role. You got it on lock. (laughs) That's exciting. That's very good. I plays making plays is such a protracted process in most Mm -hmm. cases. And it's so tricky for, for actors as well, because you can be part of the initial development and then they may choose to go a different direction. And, uh, so it sounds like you, um, you were the right, the right guy for the role. And Mm. that's, that's a very good uh, point. Uh, we talk about giving uh, Brian his due. We must give Mikel his due too, because he is one of the better actors in town. So he is sought after a great deal. Uh, so as I was coming on, uh, he had to step away from the project for a while. I don't remember exactly what the project you were going to. So we've we've wanted him all along. 
Uh, but so do other people, you know, it's, uh, mm, right. He's a wanted man. What a great, <laughs> what a great compliment and place to be yeah, as an actor. Thank Congratulations. Thank yeah. That's a, it's a champagne problem. You have to be careful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> of course, this radio show and podcast is brought to you by Badmouth theater company, badmouthtc.com here in St. Paul. So be careful. You're talking to another theater company. <laughs> we might we'll try and snag you. <laughs> snag them away. <laughs> That's really exciting. That's very high praise. Uh, and uh, I, I do have another question here for, for Mikel. Uh, yeah. What has your uh, process been like in, this is a just a standard out of the Rolodex question, but I really mean this. What's it? What has your process been to prepare for this role in particular? Man, you know, being honest, being honest and true to what's on the page, you know, not trying to make it about me, you know, just understanding that, uh, you know, I am the engine that drives this play and just trying to be as focused as possible because, you know, I, I mean, it, it's one thing to be sought out, you know, after, but it's another thing too for somebody to trust you, you know, to actually be the one to lead a play. And, you know, and, and that means so much to me, you know, I'm not the type of person that nothing has ever been like given to me. I had to work hard for everything, you know, that I've gotten. And so I think it, I, I just have a focus and I'm really about putting the best work forward, you know, because I, and also too, that's another thing too, by, you know, being fortunate enough to have Melvin here to see the story being told, you know, part of me, I'm not going to lie to you. I just want to make him proud. You know, I want to make him proud because, you know, um, you know, without his story, there wouldn't be an opportunity for me to be the lead actor in this play. And and um, so just focused, uh, relentless, like hard work and um, just professionalism. You no, know, that's 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 like the foundation for me. Yeah, this is just reminding me of the purity of theater. How when it's when it's done properly, and it it's even at a venue like this, which is pretty large and institutional, it's still all about heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, the title of this this book and this play, that title rocks. I love it, Diesel mm-hmm. Heart. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded when you're speaking of the quote from Antonin Artaud, the French uh, playwright and theater sort of theorist. He said, "Actors." are athletes of the heart. Hmm. I love that. Hmm. And I, I, I'm picking up that that vibration from you. And of course, you're getting ready to do this show. Uh, when when uh, are previews? When does it open? You got to be staying healthy. You got to be staying fit. You got to be ready. It's coming up pretty soon, isn't it? Uh, Warren, do you care to speak to some uh, dates? We, we open a week from today on March 11th. The first preview is on Wednesday. I believe Wednesday or Thursday. Yeah. I think Thursday, March 9th. And then Thursday, March 9th. Thank you. Yep. And you run from Sunday till Sunday, April 2nd. So yeah, if you can grab those tickets uh, at history theater, it's going to be a great show. Yeah. It's historytheater.com and it's uh, tre.com. You can't miss it. And it's right in downtown St. Paul. You have no excuses, folks. If you're hearing this on the FM radio, 94.1 Frogtown, you're in the the vicinity of History Theater. So get on down there. And we're recording this, uh, like you say, a week before. And we have a number of episodes in the queue for Frogtown. So I think I'm going to ask Philip to put this in rotation this Wednesday because this is time sensitive. 
theater waits for no one. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's very exciting. Hopefully we can get some people to come out. I know we're coming. We're coming out to see it. Yeah, uh, March 11th we're you. coming. So we're going to we're going to mm. say hi. We'll be cheering loud. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love this. I love the theater. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about theater writ large. So, uh, Warren, you're you're a director, but you're also an actor. And do you care to speak a little bit about your background and how you came to this play? And well, I uh, uh, I, I've been uh, I've, I've been acting and directing for the years <laughs> and for uh, for a very long time. Um, I trained mainly as a director. I did my undergraduate work at the University of Notre Dame and did my graduate work uh, at uh, the U of M here uh, in Minneapolis. Go Gophers. Then I was just lucky enough to to fall into a lot of companies that were uh, were young and starting. I went out to Pittsburgh and worked in Pittsburgh City Players. I was in San Diego for a while with San Diego Public Theater. And then I joined uh, Mixed Blood Theater in 1976 and uh, worked there for many years. A lot of of touring in one-man shows around the country as well. So I have a more than uh, 40-year history career as an actor. And over the last 10 years or so, I've been getting back into directing more and more. Uh, so uh, Rick Thompson and Ron Peluso asked me if I would be interested in this piece. I read the book and said, absolutely. And they're very strongly committed to it. So yeah, that's how I got here. Mikel, how about you? What What is your background uh, in the theater? And Warren, I'll have more questions for you, too. I just want to make sure I hear from Mikel. Yeah. Uh, again, thanks for asking. I, I, I actually uh, got my start. Uh, I started young, you know, just uh, not being a shy kid. Uh, just knew that acting was for me. And it's kind of rare, but I did. I just knew that it was for me. So I started off young. And then I started to, you know, when you get to high school, you want to, you know, be a part of the drama club. And then uh, I decided to take my, you know, uh, my acting skills to the university, uh, to Alabama State University, uh, HBCU in Montgomery, Alabama, graduated from there. And then right after I graduated, I I got an opportunity to come to uh, Minnesota, Southern boy to the Midwest. (laughs) I didn't know what I... What are you doing? Oh, what was I thinking? Oh, oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. But I was, I was able to yeah. uh, get my professional career started at Pillsbury House uh, Theater with the show Brokeology in 2011. And, uh, and, and I'm gracious and I'm so grateful to say that I'm able to, you know, have this career continue to go. I've been ever since then, it's just been been going and going and going and going. So uh, I'm really excited and I'm. Uh, Really happy for this opportunity. Are you a Minnesotan now? See, you know what? I, I I will tell you this. I've gotten really good at the art of layering. You know, so <laughs> <laughs> I used to I used to dress for fashion. You know uh-huh. what it was called? But mm-hmm. then uh, I learned the art of layering. So um, let's just say uh, I, I may not be a Minnesotan, but I'm very warm. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm very mm. warm now. All right. Very good. Yeah. There's a reason we all look like this when we go to Target. Nobody's putting on a <laughs> nobody's putting on a show. <laughs> we're just yeah, we're making it work. That's really, really uh kind of wonderful. Yeah, I think you're honorary at this this point if you've lived here. Yeah, no, no, no. I you know, I'm I'm joking, but no, seriously, I, I'm so grateful for Minnesota, man. It it has opened up so many doors for me, so many opportunities. I'm so grateful uh you know to the uh the twin cities and just the state itself and you know i'm really happy to be here i think the real question comes in are you a vikings fan okay. and are All you right. a twins fan <laughs> the real test Ooh. there we go see see okay how about this how about this uh um i'm and not that would be a no <laughs> i'm not a vikings fan but but me and Kirk Cousins are best friends. If you look at our commercial together, our ah. commercial, you know, me and him, we are best friends. That Dynamite. is excellent. What commercial is this? It's a, a Pizza Ranch commercial. <laughs> yeah, I shot a Pizza Ranch commercial with uh, Kirk Cousins. Yep. So I played his best friend in the commercial. And uh, so so, so I may not be a Vikings fan, but uh, I, I'm, I'm Kirk's. Kirk Cousins' best friend, and uh, and uh, well, maybe, know, but the yeah. Vikings are a good team, though. Really, yeah. Are. Well, maybe next season you can come back and kick some uh, PATs for them. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least I can act like I can. I can act. Right. Like well, can. yeah. That that's uh, that's about where they are. Uh in any case, that's very interesting and fun. Uh, this I'm really enjoying this conversation. Um, mm -hmm. Amanda, do you have uh, any any questions about the you know the acting side of this? Um, maybe maybe think about those. Uh, one one thing has just come to my mind because I'm looking over the material and I'm sort of browsing History Theater's great website. One thing I'll say about History Theater is that they always do a good job a great job with the sort of dramaturgical contextualizing of a piece. Uh, one thing we talk about in the theater and as playwrights is called the Passover question. Why this play now? And history theater does a very good job sort of giving you that, that why without necessarily pointing right directly at it. Uh, uh, but I'm going to put that question to you right now, Warren. Uh, why this why this play now what's the urgency of this story i think this play now because we are at a point in our country that we have a number of people that say we are post radical post racial uh, problems you people need to just shut up and and deal with things and then we have uh, a lot of people who are more realistic and say that there are still a lot of problems in society, in communities, in cities, and they are getting worse. Uh, what Melvin was dealing with, uh, as he was growing up, he, uh, uh, he, he, he had a tragedy in his family. Uh, there was a murder in his family, and he had to make a choice of whether or not he was going after the murderer or do other things, and he ended up doing that. It wasn't an easy choice for him to become a member of the police force because he's coming out of a community that rightly so did not trust the police force. He became a police officer 
and seeing the problems of the police force on the interior, he realized how difficult it would be to have them actually help the community. He was coming up at a time that uh, gangs changed and became more dominant in the neighborhood and were more dangerous. He came at a time that uh, crack cocaine was being introduced into the community and that there was a difference in the way crack cocaine in the black community was treated versus powder cocaine in the suburban and white community. And there, he was always driven by the fact of how can I do more for my community? Uh, his wife, um, Tony Carter, who was uh, first black uh, uh, Ramsey County uh, uh, c- uh, commissioner, county commissioner, and is a very strong, uh, a, a very strong career of her own. The the two of them realized, oh, we can move out of the community. And they indeed put their house up for sale and said, you know, let's get out of here. And then they said, no, if we're going to make a difference, we have to stay. And that is part of Melvin's journey, that choice to, I am going to stay and make a difference. And it is because I personally have value and can make a difference. And and to come to that realization was pretty difficult for him. Uh, There was a lot of turmoil in his early life. Uh, You know, spoiler alerts here. (laughs) I'll avoid them. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Mikkel, do you you care to speak to this question? Why this play now? If I'm staring at my Netflix queue and thinking, oh, it's still a little cold outside. (laughs) (laughs) What is, I'm sold, obviously, but I'm biased. What does it mean to you to do this play now? I think it's just important to be able to have our stories told from, you know, different vantage points and, you know, for people to get more of an understanding, because even though, you know, uh, you know, some of the things that are addressed and talked about within this show, I've heard about it, may have, you know, felt it, you know, uh, firsthand, but it still is a different perspective and it still hits hard, you know, because it's not something that's gone away. It's just, you know, something that, you know, whether it's just, you know, you know, policing, whether it's uh, being discriminated against, uh, hardships, you know, all these, you know, types of things are, you know, everyone could, you know, a lot of people could tell their stories, you know, and I think it, it just, you know, still touches me and uh, makes me value, you know, the fact that I I have a life and that I'm able to do this work, to tell this story, you know, uh, it just, I, I, you know, I think to have space made for stories to be told, I think it empowers the, ge- the next generation. And mm-hmm. it just uh, yeah makes us all feel like, you know, we're not too far removed from understanding, you know, the different generations, like, you know, you know, I, I just feel like it just, it's just a, another way of connecting and uh, letting them know that, we, you know, 
we're all here and we all have gone through similar situations. I really admire history theater for their localism. They do a good job emphasizing Minnesota stories, but yeah. they they are also aware that these are stories that are bigger than than Minnesota. They they all sort of seem to walk that line between the two. And uh history is so important to 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 ground us in time and in place right now when the world is flittering into sort of digital reality and uh, AI and tech and everybody's sort of living with their heads in the clouds. Diesel Heart, a production like this in Minnesota right now is an opportunity for people, young and old, to come into a place and just hear a story told live. I love that. That's You're probably sensing I where my love for the theater comes from. Hmm. And Kevin, and, and something too that, you know, that I'm thinking about too is like for me, you know, I'm not from, I'm not from here, you know, I'm from the South, but just hearing the stories about Rondo and, and, and you know, just how that happened and how that community got torn up, you know what I mean? And, and to, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's never enough. So, you know, I, I know they did a show at the Hitchin Theater called uh, Highway Men. Uh, I wasn't fortunate enough to actually see it. I was, you know, uh, you know, somewhere else at the time. I don't, you know, I couldn't remember why I wasn't able to see it, but I didn't get to see it. But I was able to read a little bit of the script and and to hear the story about Rondo. And, and and I think this is something that you know Melvin also addresses in in this piece as well. And it's something new. It's from a you know something we've all heard about. We know mm-hmm. you know they ran ninety four through. You know, this community, but still it hits again, just hearing how it affected him, you Absolutely. know, and, and so, so I don't know. It's just something that, you know, about um, these stories that, you know, even though, you know, it may not have affected me directly, it still, it, you know, is important. Oh, I mean, one we live it. Yeah, go ahead. I Warren. really like, I was going to say, one of the things I really like about being allowed to come in and work with history theater is that they put more we put more emphasis on the theater than the history when we hear history we think of a college course a high school course and we kind of learn things by rote and this doesn't this is about bringing people to life and the empathy that you feel in theater helps you appreciate things even more. Um, there was a, a, a gathering a month or so ago uh, as, as history theater goes through a transition where they were going through the number of times that history theater has affected history. And they talk about, uh, for example, uh, the state institutions like down in Faribault and uh, around the state and all used to uh, bury people who died in, I started to say in custody, but yes, I will say in custody in numbered graves because there was no real value to them. They were just numbers to the state. After the History Theater did a play about that, a bill was introduced 
in the Minnesota State Senate to change that. And they went back and changed the governmental policy so those people are named on their graves. They went back and changed the graves. They gave dignity to those people. That's the kind of influence that the history theater has and we hope will continue to have. It is goes to what you were saying, Kevin. Kevin, why this play now? Because there are changes that need to be made. And as we go through this man's life, we don't just say, oh, well, he deserves praise. Oh, he's the father of the mayor. That's all done. No, look at what he went through. Feel what he went through. Know it continues and now take an action as we get in the play. And who should do it? You do it. My kind of theater. Uh, very good. Very good, Warren. I have to ask, I have a couple of questions floating around uh, in my in the old Nagarino. And uh, I'm thinking about um, the business around the Rondo neighborhood for people who maybe don't know. Obviously, that's a that's a story that people in the Twin Cities are familiar with, but people who aren't may not be. I saw recently on Twitter a little video that uh, showed the St. Paul, an aerial map of St. Paul, like you'd see on Google Maps before and after 94 was put through. And mm. I could not believe it. It was staggering the difference, the amount of homes that were uh, destroyed, uh, probably St. Paul used to be a great deal more walkable as walkable as uh, it can be up here in the cold. Uh, I remember living in downtown St. Paul and thinking, hmm, before these highways, you probably could have walked up to Cathedral Hill from here, but now it's just an absolute impossibility. Uh, but for people who don't know, um, Warren, do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened and specifically the Rondo neighborhood? Well, we, we forget that the, uh, that the interstate system wasn't always here. Um, uh, you know, it goes back to uh, Eisenhower, I believe, who looked and said, if I had to transport troops across the United States in an emergency, I couldn't do it given the, the current highway system. So they right. developed a It's a military more, installation. Yeah, the, they, yeah. A, a, mm -hmm. a much more efficient highway system for moving people and in uh, quotation marks troops across the country and it became then as as the cities became more suburbanized uh there was much more of a need for quick moving of people in cities and so this connection between St. Paul and Minneapolis, their downtowns, although at the time it wasn't really necessary yet in terms of the way people were moving, they were saying, if we put it there, if we build it, they will come. If we put it there, uh, we can have an effective route between the two downtowns and it will be uh, economically stimulating. And they looked and, okay, there is 
a system of uh, uh, train tracks that kind of curve north and uh, circumnavigate what was the, the Rondo and Frogtown and other neighborhoods and go around. And they were saying, uh, they being the, the, the industrialists and the pity and, uh, <laughs> and the governmental people, they were saying- The, the same day that we have now. Line, mm -hmm. If we go in a straight line, uh, that's very efficient and it's easier to drive at all. And it's, yeah, but if we go in a straight line, we're not taking those rail tracks. We're going through neighborhoods. Yeah, but those are black people, mm. you know, in the same way that they had done with uh, 55 on the north side of Minneapolis, in the same way that was done in almost every major city in the nation. You know, when you talk about Robert Morris and what he did in New York City, we just, yes. We, yes. We, we're, we're trying to make things economically e efficient and grow and grow and grow. Mm. Um, and so that's how it happened. Uh, there was an area that uh, extended almost to the capital, almost over to St. Anthony and up to uh, uh, around uh, uh, Grand uh, and then uh, West uh, I'm trying to think how far it went down. It went past Lexington, I think, almost to Selby and a, hmm. uh, a little beyond. And it was the entire freeway there. And you look at the freeway and you go, wow, that's almost three blocks wide. Yes, it is. And so we destroy those three blocks. Unreal. And they're not people. One of the interesting things that came out, and this isn't a spoiler alert, um, this was this started happening in about 58 and, and took a number of years to go through. Well, the people in the neighborhood would get a letter from the city saying that uh, we're condemning your house and we're buying it for you and we'll give you whatever it was, 10 cents on the dollar or whatever. Was. And uh, so now they have all of these homes. And before they tore it down, they said, let's let's do something with these homes to put them to good use. And one of the ways they put them to good use was let's burn them down and train our firefighters to fight fires. So the Carter family being moved out of 717 Rondo, had to sit at the television one evening and watch their home that they were forced out of being burned so that the uh, firefighters could uh, practice, could do their training, uh, putting out the flames of their home. That's what happened to the people in Rondo. Uh, there are so many detailed stories that that's thousands of people and they all have their own stories and to be said no you're just slum dwellers so we're going to go right through your living room i'm sure some of these homes were were very charming this is victorian mansions oh victorian my. mansions oh Oh, I mean, it, I, I feel and, physically. And, mm. and mm. they were owned 
by black families. And that, that very word they were owned by the families is very important because it was very difficult to own a home. And it was even more difficult if you were black and it was the height of redlining when you can't get a loan, when you can't, when you have to work for jobs to support your family, owning a home is a big deal. I'm and sorry, it, I'm not, now. not at all. That was tremendous. And we're uh, Amanda and I don't I don't pretend to speak for Amanda, but we're highly sympathetic to this and uh, very suspect suspect of the eminent sort of domain, eminent and- domain and all the rest of it. And of yeah. course, you're you're absolutely right. And I think people even now can, uh, you know, uh, across the, you know, the country can can sympathize with this. It's still a big deal to own a home. You've you've got people working two, three, four jobs in a family now to be able to uh, mm-hmm. to afford it. So this is a story that unfortunately re- remains uh, relevant. It, when I was listening to you uh, there, um, uh, Warren, no soap at all. <laughs> He's like, you know, stay on that box. We're, I'm, I'm all about it. I'm reminded of a, of a subject that's interested me for quite a long time. Um, we did another Art of Darkness episode uh, about him. Victor Grun, who was a Viennese architect who came to the United States. He was a refugee, a Jewish fellow. He fled uh, after the Anschluss and he invented the, the mall. And he, he, he is the, the man who architected uh, Southdale. Southdale. And mm-hmm. in his mind, the mall was going to be some sort of almost utopian Viennese style suburban uh, community center. And it was, it was absolutely perverted but that's the flip side of this thing that you're describing in in rondo okay well now we've gutted the downtowns right the and people have now are now fleeing to the suburbs and so we're going to give them a place to be happy shoppers 365 days a year and what could go what could go wrong this is a huge story and whether whether you're from minnesota or not it affects you now to this day it's not history we're living in it history has not ended all right uh, amanda yeah and like and like you were saying, Warren, this happened in all of the cities across the country. So everybody, you know, should be familiar with what happened. You know, mm-hmm. and, and how these neighborhoods were destroyed, but also what you know, what was built there instead and what happened to the people. I can't imagine as a child watching your house burn on television while you were you know, displaced and and kicked out. And he was about, what, he was about eleven years old, uh, and he's the second oldest of his family. So he has four siblings that are even younger than he was. I imagine this is touched on in the in the play. That is the stuff of drama. That's yeah. like a that's as that's as uh, dramatic and uh, effective and emotional as anything in the Greeks. I mean, it it, it yes. feels like very high, uh, very high drama. Well, we're bringing this episode in. We've got another 10 minutes here on Frogtown Radio, 94.1 FM. This is Mouthing Off, a theater arts and culture podcast from Bad Mouth Theater Company. We have our own little season of theater coming up. You can find all the details at badmouthtc.com. And of course, we're here with Warren and Mikel talking about Diesel Heart. 
the new production that's coming up this month here in March at History Theater. And I don't know what to tell you. If you're not sold on this production, I, maybe, you know what, change the dial. You're never supposed to say that as a radio person, but come on, stick stick it out. Hang out with us for another ten minutes and uh, get to know get to know these uh, gentlemen um, a little more. Amanda, do you have any any questions you want to ask as we bring this on home? Yeah, you know this is some heavy stuff, uh, and it's a and as an actor living in that story and living with this and and studying it can be really uh, weighing on you, you know? And so I have to ask both of you, you know, what is it that you do for fun? How do you relax? How do you kind of let let stuff go at, you know, you keep it at the theater and then you walk out the door and like, how do you kind of, you know, shake it off? Well, I'm gonna start. So first of all, here's a couple of things just for me. One, uh, I like to watch a lot of sports. You know, I watch sports a lot. Uh, Two, I watch a lot of TV shows. I watch a lot of TV shows, uh, just stupid amounts of TV shows. What what, is the like audio, what do the listeners need to need to watch that you've Ooh. seen lately? That's real good. It's something on uh, Peacock that I like. Uh, the channel Peacock. It's uh, a, a, a TV show. It's called uh, Poker Face. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like I like Poker Face a lot. Um, uh, just well well written. Um, uh man, I'm I'm drawing a blank. If I'm gonna think of some more than I get back to you on that one. But also too, I love to watch cartoons. That's that's uh, me. Cartoons is really good for me. I watch all of them. Uh and I think, and my last thing is that I love to play games. I'm a, I'm a game night type of guy. Like I, oh. like I like I host game nights. Like I'm like oh. the game night like king. Like I I'm like a <laughs> Steve Harvey or something. I just that what, I, I what kind poker. of games like like poker or Catan or what what are we no, talking about? No, 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 no. I, I do stuff like uh like a family feud, uh <laughs> like a taboo, trivia taboo, oh, uh, wow. catchphrase, uh uh just uh, all those games where you can like team up, you know, like team against team. Yeah. Uh yeah, that, that that that's 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 my that's my game. And and you know, I've actually like one of my dreams is to actually like host my own like game show. So I have some games that I've actually like made up, you know, like my own games that I've made up. And I want to like, uh, I, I'm thinking about some uh, talk to a theater. So whatever theater's listening, I, I want to rent out a theater and just host my games. You, you, you heard should it think here, of... here first, folks. Absolutely. Yeah. Sap Mal- is like your man. It. Mouthing off. Yeah, you, yeah, we're doing our first production of a play. We're doing One Good Marriage at Phoenix Theater in Minneapolis oh, this yeah. spring. And are you familiar with Phoenix? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. They do the they do sort of game shows and game nights. Who knows? The other thing you could do is you could turn that into a podcast, Mikel. You could who knows? Ooh. Yeah. Kevin, yeah, I'll be go. talking to you. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Awesome. Well, you know, that doesn't surprise me at all because, of course, you're an actor and you're into theater and performance and all of those game nights, you know, the sort of games you described, they're very lively. They're very theatrical, uh, sort of improv and you got to stay on your feet. I got to ask you um, before we uh, hand the baton to to Warren um, again, what do you think about the pitching clock in MLB? Do you have any opinions on that? This is a total aside. You know, to be honest with you, I haven't. 
I, I have it, but you know, and I'm sorry, I'm not a Twins fan. I'm an Atlanta oh. Braves fan. I'm Ooh. an Atlanta Braves fan. Okay. And, and as long I, as I, you're not a Yankees fan, you'll you'll be just fine. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm not yeah. a Yankees fan. So so the whole pitching clock thing, it, it is cool. But then I just saw my Braves playing one day, and then like uh, I think if you're not in the batter box at a certain time, that's that's called a strike now. Mm-hmm. And so again, a game ended with a it was a full count, and I think we had like a run on third base or something like that, a runner in scoring position. And then, uh, but he went in the batter box fast enough for something. And so uh, they called a strike at the end of the game. Oh, no, I don't like that. That's I, that, so it's, no, it's that's it's not tough. baseball. That's not it's baseball. Tough. Well, let's uh, let's just uh, channel. So, yeah, we'll go over to go over to Warren here. What do you do uh, for fun and relaxation? But before we do, I just have to just get a pause momentarily and remember the 1991 World Series. All Stop right. it. Stop <laughs> it. Kevin. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, had to be done. Had to be done. Yeah, go ahead, Ward. And, Ward, what do you do? Yeah, what do you do for fun well, and relaxation? I, one thing, I'm learning all kinds of things about Mikhail here now, you know? <laughs> and um, I, I'm used to one of my main forms of, of having fun. For 20 years, uh, I was a dungeon master in a very extensive D&D uh, campaign. <sighs> Incredible. At, at one point, we had a, uh, and we were crazy, and we we're all, I mean, this is guys in their 40s and 50s. We called it our men's group, and, you know, we would spend a certain <laughs> amount of time talking about what was going on. You know, we talked people through divorces and illnesses <laughs> with the kids and all, and then we would mm. play the game. At one point, uh, it was in the summer, things were dark, it mixed blood. We set up a two-scale battle that covered the entire floor of the theater. Uh, so we, we, yeah, yeah, we were. That is amazing. Tremendous. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, what, <laughs> what I'm starting. And, and yes, I, I love games. I'm, I, one yes, of I'm, us, I'm gonna, one of yeah, us, Google. Amazing. I, um, uh, the thing that I'm, uh, kind of transitioning to in my more mature years here is I like to I like to travel and I want to mm. uh, travel more and more. We in the fall just spent a considerable amount of time in uh, Italy and France. And uh, when I was in college, I studied in France for a while, so my uh, I, my French is not bad at all. And uh, so uh, yeah. I I like languages. I like traveling and all. I'm going to do more and more of that. That's one last thing, and yeah. one last thing. This is Mikhail again. One more thing I like to do, and and this is a Minnesota like delicacy. Like people just need to get on this. Is whirly ball. I love whirly ball. Whirly ball. Whirly yes. ball. Okay. okay I've heard pickleball is pickleball's yeah. coming up, but what? Yeah. Is I love pickleball too. Oh. But whirly ball. It is a combination. Of lacrosse, basketball, hockey, and lacrosse, lacrosse, let me see, lacrosse, basketball, and hockey, hmm. all of this while riding in a bumper car. <laughs> that where do you do this? Where do you do it's this? A, it, there's a whirly ball center in Maple Grove, and it's one in Bloomington. Incredible. And it is amazing. 
I think I we love- have the title of our episode. Uh, Kevin. Ball. Ball. Thank you, Mikel. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll probably call it Diesel Heart because we're here uh, to to put butts in seats at History Theater. Coming up, tell tell us again, uh, when does the show open? Uh, people can get tickets at historytheater.com. I'll put a link in the show notes at badmouthtc.com. Warren, you're you're selling tickets now, and the show opens very soon, doesn't it? Right. Preview uh, uh, March 9th. Yeah. And opening March 11th. Yeah. Runs through April 2nd. Yep. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, this has been a real pleasure. I had a great time. I hope you did too. Uh, we're here with Warren Bowles and Mikel Sapp, director and actor of Diesel Heart, coming up at History Theater. Just a real pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you for your time. Uh, I'm Kevin Kautzman. This is Amanda Forrester. Amanda, you want to say goodbye? Yes. Thank you both so much. I just love hearing from uh, directors and actors and being able mm-hmm. to pick their brain about your process, about yeah. the show, and especially that it's a new play, a world premiere. So thank mm. you guys so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much for having us both on. Yeah. A real pleasure to to meet the both of you. I'm going to be thinking about game nights and rolling 20s all night. Rolling 20s. <laughs> and see you March blood. 11th. Yeah, we'll see you there at the show. We'll be down there. Uh, and right. of course, you've been... Okay, very cool. You've been listening to Mouthing Off online and at Frogtown Radio, 94.1 FM here in beautiful St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Kevin Couchman signing off. Thanks again. We really appreciate it. It was, it was a lot of fun, guys. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so yeah, much. A real joy. That was, oh, that was yeah, just awesome. So Amanda, I just feel like I've met you before or at least seen you somewhere before. It's possible. Maybe. I'm, I spent about uh, eight years in D.C., Okay. Uh, on the stages in DC and then kind of came back uh, during the, the dreaded COVID time when okay. everybody took a little bit of a break. So now I'm now I'm based here back in the Twin Cities. So Great. maybe who knows? Great. Well, hey, uh, I will. Whenever day y'all come, I would love to meet you all in person and just shake your hand and just say thank you for this opportunity. So please let yeah. let, let them know that you're here so that mm-hmm. I can, you know, come out and, and yeah. meet you all. We'll hang around uh, after, we'll be the, after groupies. the show. Yeah, we'll be the group. We'll be your groupies. Yeah. Hey, we do theater too, so who knows? Maybe we'll get a chance to work together one day. Most yeah. definitely. All right. All yes. right.